Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. I tweeted the other day, here's what inflation is. You go to the gas station before you go to the grocery store, and you can't afford to fill up at either location. Simplistic. Huh? Professor Eric Cam joins us, a macroeconomics professor at Ryerson University, contributor to this program. How are you, Professor Cam? I'm doing very well, Roy, and it reminds me of my favorite sports quote about my beloved Miami Dolphins, which is, we can't win at home and we can't win on the road and we're running out of places to play. <laughs> As a Dallas Cowboys fan, I cannot sympathize with you. But anyway, they're having a good year. Dallas is going to be very good. They're doing better. Yeah, they're doing much better. Look, uh, let me start with this. Canada's six biggest banks have aligned with Mark Carney, the former governor of the Bank of Canada and the Bank of England and Liberal Party of Canada member, who's also the United Nations special envoy on climate to announce the banks are shifting their lending away from fossil fuel development to zero emissions industries development. And we're going to be talking with the uh, John Stackhouse, uh, senior vice president of RBC tomorrow about this. So now we have the Saudis, the Russians, and other OPEC members happy to know that Canada's banks are turning their backs on Canadian energy development. What does that do to inflationary trending in this country? You know what? It's really in line with your previous guest, who I thought was excellent, talking about the supply chain. I mean, you know, economics is complicated, but it's not. And if you want to see where the price of things comes from, you just look at the demand on the part of consumers and the supply on the part of firms. And any time that you choke off one of those two things, or God forbid, both of them, you're going to see prices rise. So when you say what's going on right now in the energy sector and in the fuel sector, it's just going to be met with more and more decreases in the level of supply, believing that anything else other than the price continuing to go up and inefficiencies going up in the sector is really just a leap of faith, Roy. Okay, so if it comes to macroeconomics and the supply chain, where do the two dovetail and where in the heck can we separate them? Can we? You can. No, I don't think you can separate them because, as I said, it's impossible as an economist to deal with demand or supply in a vacuum. You really have to look at them both. This is the number one thing we try to get across to our students is that we can't understand prices and price movements until we understand that you have both motivations in the economy. And so, as I said, your worst-case scenario is any time you can noticeably see in the data demand going up and supply going down. Well, let's just take a peek at the data, Roy, for a second. Retail sales were up 2.1% in the last statistics. Food and beverage and gasoline, clothing and accessories are all way up, leading the drive. And then you also have the CPI, which went up, as you said, highest in 20 years, 4.4% year over year. Some people say that's all gas. Well, let's abstract from the gas, and it still went up 3.5, which is outside of the acceptable boundaries of the Bank of Canada. So what you're seeing now is what happens when demand and supply are unpredictable, but you take one of the two and you tie one arm behind your back and you restrict supply to such an extent that prices have nowhere to go but up. Yeah, I mean, I, and I apologize to our listeners. I said earlier, one of my neighbors, I'm broadcasting from home today. We'll be back in the studio tomorrow. 
But one of my neighbors decided to mow his grass when the show started, and another one of my neighbors has decided it's a good idea to do it right now. So that's what you're hearing in the background. But when we talk about uh, transportation costs, and we talk about fuel, um, transportation index is more than double the national average at 9%. Gasoline prices up 33% in the last year. And as you said, that affects literally everything from pumping gas into your vehicle or diesel into a company truck, and that diesel in that company truck, the cost increase will be passed on to the consumer. And that's what's happening, isn't it? Well, yes. I mean, that's all that can happen. On a microeconomic level, you're now seeing prices rise on most, if not all, consumer goods. And that's bad enough. But let's look at the macro economy for a second. There is a holy grail of what you don't want to have happen, which is you do not want to have something called stagflation. You do not want to have a situation where both unemployment are high and inflation is high. But when you look at the data right now, as we tend to be coming out of a recessionary phase motivated by COVID, that's what the data is predicting for us. So you're going to have what we call it, you know, a double whammy. You're going to have prices going up, inflation going up, goods becoming far too expensive for some people to afford. And then as a cherry on top, those people aren't going to be able to get their jobs back that they had before COVID anyway. So I'm actually really glad you had your last guest on because he and Mr. McTagg are also very negative right now. And so I don't want to be the only person saying we are in for a bumpy ride. But you need to do nothing more than look at the Bank of Canada, who who has a holy war, Roy, a holy war on inflation. It says we are not going to let it get above 3%. Guess what? It's above 3%. Well, and shelter is up 4.8%. Food is 3.9%. Meat is 9.5%. And those are individual indicators, but they add to the overall picture. Well, that's right. And that's what happens. You know, it's like uh, there's the expression that when bad times hit the the economy, they hit poor people first. Well, you know what? When prices start to rise in an economy, they hit the goods that we use first. We call those the goods that have the lowest elasticity, things that people have no choice but to buy. And you're watching Economics 101 happen right according to the textbooks right now. The prices are creeping up on the core goods that businesses and firms have to buy every day. And I know people don't like the term trickle-down, but now you're watching it trickle-down the system heading toward a real stagflationary phase, which is very, very dangerous. So what does this mean to the individual family, the individual Canadian family, who may, as I said earlier, this is my definition, a simplistic definition of inflation. You go to the gas station on the way to the grocery store, and you don't fill up at either place because you can't afford it. Uh, is that overly simplified? And what does the, what is what's going on now imply? What does it predict for the Canadian family in the next 12 months? It implies that my friend Roy Green was right when for the last year he has been questioning the people that have said there's these billions and billions and billions of dollars of unspent money people are dying to spend. You and I have both been a little bit skeptical of that because if that money is there and if these families do have savings, about the only thing they can do right now to ensure themselves that they're, that they're not going to lose their most prized possessions is to even double down on personal savings. And I know, I know I've been on your show and said things like, well, if we don't spend and if we don't motivate spending and consumption, we're going to be nowhere. Well, you know what? Now you're seeing what happens when things go above 
the textbook explanations. People are spending. They're spending. They don't even care so much right now. Um, the wealthy people don't care that the prices are where they are. And so spending is being ramped up and prices are going up and spending is ramped up and it becomes a vicious circle. So if you are Mr. and Mrs. Canadian, the best thing you can do right now is ensure that you have enough savings to take care of yourself and your family if you have any type of short-term or long-term financial insolvency, which I know is very difficult. Well, and, and you know, we found out just a year or so ago, national polling, 52% of Canadians were within $200 and not being able to pay their monthly bills. That's massive. We have a national debt of a trillion dollars. We have provinces in debt. Municipalities are not allowed to run a deficit, but they're struggling as well. Are governments influencers, Professor Cam, or are they just passengers at this point? No, I think that governments are still influencers. I don't think you can take governments out of the circular flow model. I think we have to look at the role of firms, the role of consumers, and the role of government. I think we are all very much interdependent. But it is true that a government can only do so much, and the economy is not a physics laboratory. We cannot pull a lever and have the results come through in a matter of minutes. And so you have to look at where you are, you have to look at where the data tells you you're going, and make wise macroeconomic decisions. And now that they are going to be pulling back CERB or whatever they call it, they're really going to have to look at the debt levels of Canadians and say, how are we going to protect our families that are unstable? And I mean food unstable, home unstable, education unstable, because if you don't have food and if you don't have a place to live, how are you going to get your children to school? So right now is the time that governments are going to have to do their job as overseers and protectors of our economy. Let me come back a bit to what you said a few minutes ago and add just a thought to that. Predictions were initially that the inflationary trend may last a few months, but now I'm hearing experts say they're uncertain about that. And some economists are saying this inflationary activity could well last into the second half of next year, 2022, and others are saying you should take the word temporary right out of the picture as far as inflation time frame is concerned. What do you say? I don't know how you can argue this is going to be temporary because people still have to spend, they still have to support their families. Prices are going nowhere but up, but again, they're going up on the goods that we have no choice but to purchase. These are not fancy vacations and yachts. They're going up on gas and they're going up on fruits and vegetables. So I don't know what choice we have but to acknowledge, and I don't like to, to correct Tiff Macklin, but I know he used the word transitory. Your last guess was right. There's nothing transitory about what's going on. When you print trillions and trillions of dollars of currency injected into the economy, and then you have supply chains that take supply to all-time low levels, probably the only thing that can happen, the only thing that can happen is prolonged inflationary phases. And that's just going to be a reality for a while, like you and I predicted a year ago. We did. What about, um, Professor Cam, the government spending? How does this all factor into where we are now? $300 billion plus deficits, a trillion dollars in national debt, and provinces in debt. Where does that fit into the inflationary picture? It doesn't help it. I mean, when you look at how we add up, how Statistics Canada 
adds up gross domestic product. How is our country doing? All they do is they measure spending from across all of the actors in the game. And those actors are households who consume, firms who invest, and governments who spend. But believe it or not, consumption is and will always be the number one driver of those things. So while government spending probably looks like it's out of control given the last couple of years, believe it or not, the spending that you see is still considered officially as consumption because those transfer payments have gone to households who have then done their spending. So government spending will, is and something we've got to keep our eyes on, Roy, but compared to consumption, it is a it is a important but smaller issue. It is household spending that has to be monitored. So people are wondering about their investments. What do I do with my investments? How do I take care of my retirement? What is the inflationary impact on markets, international financial systems, and what would you advise? Well, that's an excellent question because it's really going to the heart of two things. And number one is we know that the Bank of Canada is about to raise rates. And so some people will say to themselves, well, isn't that going to isn't that going to be the control on consumption that we need? And my answer is, well, maybe, but maybe not, because some of those goods have to be purchased no matter what. But to the heart of your question, you're really saying, what is the difference between things that are nominal and things that are real? I mean, the money in your wallet, Roy, is wonderful, but if we don't know the price of the things you're going to purchase, uh, it doesn't really matter. So the short answer to your question is diversify, protect yourself, keep savings. And if you are not a person who is uh, up for risky behavior, if you're a risk-averse person by nature, now would be the time to double down on that and make sure that your assets are equally and easily um, liquid and can be converted into cash if necessary because we've got to strap up. It's going to be a bumpy ride. What does the Bank of Canada have, if they do, in the way of levers to impact this inflation? The Bank of Canada can raise the interest rate, and it can raise it significantly. So it can bring down spending. I mean, it's not, you know, again, I I, I think sometimes I like poking a hole in the balloon, Roy. The government spends, the Bank of Canada has the interest rate. Those are the controls on the economy. There's two big problems on inflation, unemployment, and there's government spending, taxation, and interest rates. And so there's there's the, the bowl of soup, and it just depends on how you want to mix it. So here's the question I was hesitant to ask. Let me phrase it this way. Some of us remember in the early 1980s, interest rates at 18%. Over to you. Yeah, Yeah, I remember. Oh, of course. Do I remember? I was a teenager, and I've said before, I watched neighbors of my mom and dad put their keys under their front door and walk away from their house when the value of their mortgage became greater than the value of their home. And so if you're asking me for a predictive model, number one, we have got to address the supply chain. We have got to get prices under control because that's the only way we're going to get real values coming to where they have to be to get any type of economic growth, number one. Number two, I would still keep the nominal rate of interest low but positive. Were we wrong to turn away from our fossil fuel energy riches? 
Well, I think we were. I mean, I think Canada is so rich in its resources. I don't know why we've turned it into a sector that we've become so reliant on the rest of the world when the rest of the world is becoming a little more closed. America right now, they are proud of their buy American, buy American. And this week, um, the deputy prime minister came out and said, you're killing us with that, as opposed to maybe learning from it and becoming a little bit more self-sufficient. If I have this correctly, and I don't have my notes in front of me, but the International Energy Agency has predicted, I think, that by 2060, we'll still be using somewhere, and I could stand to be corrected on this, somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 million um, barrels of oil daily, globally. Yeah, and I I have to admit, this is not my uh, bailiwick or my area of expertise. I just know that everything I read from my friends who do study these things, they talk about dependency and they talk about self-sufficiency, and we seem to have somehow gotten off the rails. And even the things that they, right now that we, we trumpet as our main objectives, we don't seem to be anywhere, anywhere close to the numbers that we should be. So, as you've said, energy is an area that we have to look at much closer and get back to some sort of equilibrium where we can supply our own needs. And, and cater and buy less and less of what we need. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 